welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Later in the show, we're going to talk about the idea of business leaders becoming politicians, being heads of government. The, the business advocates in our nation have long said that they could do a better job than politicians could running government and government institutions here in Michigan. We've had a six-year experiment with that with Governor Rick Snyder at the helm. Uh, at the national level, President Donald Trump, of course, has a lot of business experience, but no experience at all in public service or government. Is this a good development? Are business advocates right about the things that they can bring, the principles that they could bring to the operation of government? Or is it fundamentally different? Does government have different motivations and different foundations that are incompatible with profit motive and the other things that drive the private sector? We're going to talk about that with Sandy Barua, who is the president and CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber, and Roger Martin, who is a partner in Martin Waymeyer Political PR firm in Lansing. And of course, we're going to want to hear from you, 313-577-1019, to talk about that subject. But first, a federal judge yesterday approved a large settlement for the city of Flint to address its water crisis. The state is going to pay $87 million to Flint to replace 18,000 unsafe water lines by 2020. That also means that a crisis that has already lasted three years will last at least another three years. This is the beginning of the end of the situation, though. And as always, the question in Flint is, is it enough? Is anything ever going to be enough to repair the damage done by the water crisis there. Joining me now to talk about what happened yesterday and what we will see in the future is Carrie Moss. She is the executive director of the ACLU of Michigan. Welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me, Stephen. Absolutely. So big day yesterday. Uh, the number is what everyone has has focused on. That that eighty seven million dollars is a lot of money in the settlement. But there there are some other reasons that this is significant. This is an unusual kind of settlement. It is an unusual kind of order from a federal court. Talk about what that sort of anomalous dynamic is here. Well. Thanks so much for having me. Um, yes, yesterday was a big day. It was really kind of unimaginable if you think back to where we were a year, uh, much less two years ago. This is the first time there's ever been a court settlement under the Safe Water Drinking Act requiring uh, that all lead service lines in a city be replaced. So it's really historic and it's it's nationally significant and we're very excited about it. We're very grateful that we were able to make it happen with the federal court district judge, David Lawson, the governor, Gene Dreiker, the residents of Flint, uh, the pastors. It was really just a, a, a true collaboration. Yeah. And and the idea of replacing all of the lead lines in this city, as we, as we said, 18,000 unsafe water lines by 2020, it is a massive undertaking at the same time, uh, there are still some some issues out there. In other words, there are still some things that we need to focus on in terms of fixing what went oh, wrong. Oh, this in does Flint. not solve the problems, all the problems by any means. I mean, what this does, it's it sends eighty seven million dollars in a three year time frame to replace eighteen thousand 
lead lines with copper. Mm -hmm. It also ensures full funding for eight or nine programs, on-the-ground programs that will promote maternal child health. Uh, what remains to be done is, you know, the emergency manager law, which kind of facilitated this crisis where public health issues could be concerns is still on the books. It has not been amended by the state legislature. And we do have another case trying to address some of the really significant issues in the uh, Flint public schools. And the fact that children over five in the city have still not been screened for educational disabilities. And as a result, there's no way to comply with federal disability law requirements if you don't know how many children were, in fact, affected by lead exposure. So that that's still a big issue. And, of course, the overall, the economic health of the city. But I'm optimistic that this consent order is going to signal to the business momentum? right, that, that the city can, can heal, repair, and come back. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Carrie Moss. She's the executive director of the ACLU of Michigan. We're talking about the $87 million settlement announced yesterday in federal court by which the state will pay to replace 18,000 unsafe water lines in Flint by 2020. This is in the wake of the Flint water crisis in which thousands, tens of thousands of Flint residents uh, were exposed to lead-tainted water. Uh, you want to join the conversation, talk about what you think about this settlement, talk about what you think about how long it's been since this all happened. Is this happening quickly enough, the fix for the Flint water crisis? Also talk about what else you think ought to happen for the people of Flint. Uh, in addition to this waterline replacement, what are those, some of the other things that we ought to be focused on? 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work your comments into the conversation. You can also go to WDET.org and take a look at the settlement that was announced yesterday read through what judge lawson uh, said the city or said the state needs to do with regard to these water lines in flint again 313-577-1019 is the number uh, carry uh 2020 uns- by 2020 we under this order at least will have new lines uh, in the in the city of flint I-, I think there are some people who look at that date though and think Good grief. This started in 2015. Uh, that's five full years that the people there have to wait for this to get fixed. Uh, I, I think those of us who understand infrastructure and how difficult it can be to replace it know uh, that there are reasons for that. At the same time, that frustration, I think, still is out there among people that, that this this wrong was committed Two years ago now, and we're now talking about another three years before we even get to uh, a place where where everybody in that city can turn the faucet on and just have no questions about the safety of what comes out of it. There are many good reasons to be frustrated, and I don't think anybody should expect a magic bullet that will begin to repair the, the feelings of, of um, 
disrespect and betrayal that that exist in the city. But this three year time frame is faster than any time frame ever set out in any other city in which there has been lead pipe replacement. Mm-hmm. And the fact is to replace 18,000 lead lines, you've got to dig up each one. It is a it is a massive undertaking. And what this agreement does is it means that if the state is not on time and and um, staying on course with what it has said it would do in the consent agreement, that we can go back to court at any time and, and hold them accountable. Uh, so that makes this, you know, extremely powerful agreement. Yeah, uh, there's also in this order one dimension of it is monitoring, uh, monitoring of the work that needs to be done, uh, and monitoring of lead levels uh, into the future. That's also a big, big part of this, making sure that government does what it says it's going to do. And monitoring by a third party. Yes. Right. So this is not going to be a a state employee. This will be an independent person who will oversee uh, compliance. Yeah. Uh, Does this kind of settlement, uh, as you point out, first of its kind uh, under this act, give you impetus to be able to go make the argument that other cities that don't have a water crisis, don't don't have the same incident that happened in Flint, but still have lots of lead lines under the ground. Might also be be um, might also have have something like this happen. In other words, uh, can we make an argument that you've got to replace lead lines? In Detroit, that you have to make replace them in uh, all of the cities that that have them. Well, I think one of the unintended consequences of this whole crisis is that it really put front and center for many, many cities that neglect of infrastructure has these real human costs, and it's caused a lot of cities to take a hard look at where where you know they're at. So, what this agreement might do is hopefully inspire other cities to set timetables and and begin to plan strategies for you know, raising, generating the funds to do it. We know, obviously, infrastructure uh, is on the national agenda. Who knows what will happen with that? But but perhaps this agreement can help set the pace for some of it. But, yeah. you know, it is expensive. Right. Yeah, it is expensive, and it's difficult. I mean, it's not it's not easy work. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. Let's go to Matthew in Harper Woods. Yeah, hi. I think I was just thinking I don't listen to that, you know, a couple times, maybe a month, three times. But your radio program, you have very extensively covered this issue in a very credible way. So I want to give you kudos. Yeah, we appreciate um, that. My my question or my comment, I, you know, I've stepped back. And, of course, I wish it was so much quicker. But I feel like I just don't have a way to guess. I wish somebody's listening who's maybe more like an engineer somebody could or somebody that really understands so to replace a pipe, how much how much hours or how long does it take between the engineer and a whole thing? Because, um, like she said, it seems you know it's, you wish it was done yesterday, you know, months ago. But it's like it's such a complex deal. They can't just go in somebody's yard and dig a pole up, a pipe up. And so I don't know if if you guys know of or if somebody's listening and calling. I'd be curious how long. Does it take from the beginning they decide they're going to do it to the end when they do all the paperwork, everything sure. um, to do um, to replace the pipe? Yeah, I, thank you. It's a great question, Matthew. I mean, I, I think all of us are sort of learning some of this as it happens. Uh, nothing like this has ever happened before in a city like Flint. Watching the state, though, trying to to do what it has been doing since 
last year. I mean, we have some idea of the pace, and it is not fast. I mean, it it does take it does take some. Yeah, time. and I mean, I I not an engineer. I can't answer your question. I think with the kind of detail you might be looking for, but what I can say is we've had a lot of experts who consulted with us in the you know formulation of this consent agreement, and certainly during the course of the lawsuit. So so this has been very much driven by scientists and engineers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's go to Brian in Macomb County. Brian, welcome to Detroit today. Brian? Oh. <laughs> you got to turn your radio down, Brian. Sorry, right. I can't comment. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks anyway. Uh, let's go to Andy in Livonia. Andy, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning, Stephen. How hey. are you? Yeah, good. How are you? Good. Hey, uh, one thing I want—I don't think it's been addressed. If you recall, early on in this crisis, that the they put uh, large amounts of chlorine in the water to uh-huh. try to remediate this, and all the—I've never heard anybody address the fact that any water appliance in your home is damaged by that chlorine, whether it's your hot water tank, your washing machine, your toilets, your dishwasher. That high chlorine level is not good for appliances. And, you know, I mean, are these folks going to be reimbursed for damages, you know, as well as the, the lead pipe, pipe replacement? It's, it's a great question, Andy. I wish I, wish I knew more about uh, plumbing and sewage, uh, the water systems, uh, to be able to answer it. I, you know, I think there are lots. I, I think the simple answer to that in the context of Flint is that there are going to be a lot of things that we learn that were done that also caused harm that down the road I think will probably come up uh, either in uh, civil, you know, civil contexts or, or perhaps some of them in, in criminal contexts. Uh, this, is a, this is an event that uh, I think we are just, just sort of getting to really fully understand the scope and scale and dynamic of it. But, uh, but thanks very much for the call. Uh, let's go to John in Gross Point. John. Welcome to Detroit. Today. Hi. Yeah. Hey, Stephen, how are you? I, I, I'm just going to go out on a limb here, but I've been following this story pretty closely, uh-huh. mostly through your newspaper, uh-huh. which I really appreciate. Uh, and my take on this, based on everything I've read, is that this is not a lead service line problem. This was a, 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 a treatment problem, a water treatment problem, right. and that the lead leaching into people's uh, drinking glasses was coming not only from uh, exposure to untreated or improperly treated water flowing through uh, the occasional lead service line, but also the plumbing and fixtures in these homes. And, and you know, replacing the lead service lines, I think it's really a super idea. It, it's, it's visibly uh, and viscerally important, but the root of this problem is not lead service lines. It was... It was uh, you know, and people who knew better about water treatment decision making and just sure. let it and just let improperly treated water flow through that system. Yeah, uh, John, that is a great point. Uh, I'm glad you called to make it. I, I guess I would uh, I, I would answer that by saying, yes, this was an accident caused by decision making caused by people in some cases who knew better, some cases uh, people who I think didn't quite know what they were doing, making decisions about how to treat water uh, that was coming out of the Flint River. At the same time, the root of that problem is these lead service lines. If you don't have the lead service lines, 
the treatment that uh, that was required for uh, the water to go through cleanly uh, wouldn't have been required. And so uh, it's it's not an either or. It's a both and, I guess, is, is the way I would answer Yeah, I would that. agree with that. And, and it certainly became a problem because they didn't uh, use appropriate corrosion control, right? So that can happen in any city where you have an antiquated infrastructure that's never been updated, as yeah. we see has happened here. Well, and that's the danger statewide or nationwide Correct. is that you still have these lead lines in all kinds of places. If you don't treat them uh, in the in the proper way, you can create the same circumstances that you have in Flint if you're using water that's got that sort of high high corrosive uh, value. But John, again, thanks for the for the call. Let's go to AM in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit today. Uh, thank you, Stephen. And yep. I just want to say, like the other caller, uh, you guys do top-notch work. Uh, it's a shame what's going to happen to your budget if all this stuff goes through. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to comment on the other caller who said something about uh, digging up the, serv- the lead services. Having been a worker in the water and sewage department in Detroit for many years, mm-hmm. I know uh, the workers could do at least two of those services for residentials a day. So two that would be a perfect problem project for the uh, public works that this uh, president is talking about taking on. Yeah, yeah, I am. Thanks very much uh, for calling and adding a knowledge-based comment to the conversation. Can I also jump in and pick up on his point about the great work you do and put in a plug to support WDET? There you go. See, that's right. We're right in the middle of fundraiser, too, trying to raise $275,000. We're about $100,000 short, but... People should uh, go to WDET.org and uh, renew those memberships or sign up for the first time. Look at you helping out with the with the fundraising in addition to being a great Any- guest on the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Mary Jo That's in New Haven, work. you're next. <laughs> go ahead, Mary Jo. Good morning. Hey, how are you? Fine. Um, I just was wondering how much of the lead that got freed up out of the pipes and the solder ended up back in the lakes and the rivers of our state. That's an interesting question too. I mean, these are these are great engineering questions that, yeah, we need that a the readers are asking the or the listeners are asking. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess in theory, if the water comes uh, through the faucet and it's got lead in it and it goes down the drain uh, through the wastewater system, eventually that does end up back somewhere uh, in a in a water source, whether it's the Flint River or, or some other some other source. So uh, I, I don't know. I mean, and again, I think a lot of these things, I said this before, I think a lot of these things will end up uh, sort of materializing or showing their faces down the road as we sort of continue to peel back the onion of, of what this problem actually caused. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about the ACLU, uh, Carrie, and its role in this crisis. Uh also, the Safe Water Drinking Act and its role in this crisis, those are two things that I think uh, have a, a stand in a different light today than they did even six months ago. The importance of institutions like the ACLU to come and fight for a just uh, result in in cases like uh, the, the Flint water crisis, but then also the infrastructure of law that we have in this country uh, to be able to do it, and the threat that the current administration poses to that infrastructure. Well, we certainly have our work cut out for us. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, but before the show, we were talking about the huge increase in membership. Um, here in Michigan, we went from about 9,000 members to over 40,000 in the space of a couple of wow. months. Wow. Pretty significant, which, you know, said to me that people realize the importance of independent institutions like ours to hold government accountable and to protect, you know, the fundamental core principles of our democracy. So, so that has felt really good. Uh, I wish it was under different circumstances. It's, um, you know, there's a lot that's, that's alarming, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the safe water drinking act of course is an important part of the environmental protection uh, infrastructure in this country. And it's one of those things that, that the current president has said he's not as interested in pursuing as as former administrations. I mean, I and this week we've seen a lot of pretty radical approaches to undermining the regulatory system over the environment. Uh, you know, hoping that uh, there's a lot of pushback and and a lot of resistance to efforts to dismantle what has taken decades to create. And uh, you know, I. The Safe Water Drinking Act is not a radical law, right? I mean, this is a basic (laughs) public health and safety (laughs) law. That's right. I mean, it is you know fundamental to the health of our children, and and uh, it's crucial that it not be weakened in any way. In fact, and I was very glad to see the governor standing up here in Michigan for long, um, stronger lead and copper rule standards yes. here. Yes. And, and we're going to need states to step up in this way and, and push back if there are any efforts to really significantly weaken the, the federal regulatory structure. Yeah. Uh, let's take one more call here. Gene in Detroit. Hold Gene. Oh, hold on. To, hold yeah. on. Yeah. Hello? Yep. Go ahead, Gene. Good morning, Stephen. Hey, how are you? Uh, I just wanted to uh, ask Miss Moss uh, about the suit that the ACLU and the NAACP had uh, jointly earlier this year regarding the uh, uh, misuse of the hardest hit fund in Detroit and whatever happened to that. Um, I don't. I don't know that I'm recalling that, uh, Carrie. Yeah, the hardest hit fund. The hardest I'm hit fund. Not... The, the that's the the money that has been paying for demolition in Detroit. I believe is the hardest hit fund. But yeah, uh... we do not have a lawsuit under that. What we did do was file a lawsuit over the city and county's failure to readjust property taxes, which right. has led in to foreclosures. One of the biggest foreclosure crises in Detroit's history. Right. Um, so maybe that's what, what you're thinking yeah. of. So what's the status of, uh, of that? We um, are hoping that we can arrive at a settlement with the city. There is no good reason that people should be being thrown out of their homes uh, because they failed to pl- pay inflated property taxes. Yeah. So we're, we're hopeful. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the whole property tax conundrum here in the city of Detroit, I think, is is one of those one of the sort of flashpoints waiting to to catch fire here. I mean, it, the, the number of people we put out of their homes for that for that reason, as with you point no out, with no due process protection, yeah, no way yeah. to appeal, really. Yeah. And you know? we've been doing it. 
for years, and there are lots of other solutions that have been proposed and put on the table, and none of them seems to, to get traction to be able to do it in a different way. Um, all right, so Carrie Moss, Executive Director of the ACLU of Michigan, thanks for being here. Thanks for having today. me. Absolutely. All right, up next, what are the pros and cons of running government like a business? We're talking about the Flint water crisis. We're going to talk about a more general dynamic between business and government next. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Thank you.